Hello, this is your host, Dr. Casey Bradley, and welcome to Pig Progress's The Real P3 Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the producers around the world. In case you missed part one, this is part two of one of two with Jeff Gent from a session ad. He's a young entrepreneur trying to bring innovative solutions to our problems in the swine industry. In part one, he discussed what it's like to be an entrepreneur and the challenges he had bringing his product to market. And now in part two, we're going to talk about biosecurity and the role of his product and how it solves problems and some of the challenges we face when we look at disinfection and how to control and mitigate disease in our swine facilities. So stay tuned. Well, welcome back, Jeb. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Thank you. How about yourself? Great. I'm glad to have you on the podcast again. So if everybody's listening, this is part two of our two-part series with Jeb. So for our audience, we already discussed Jeb's new business and being an entrepreneur and driving innovation in the swine industry. So in part two, we're going to be discussing the problem because obviously the Real P3 discusses problems and how we solve them. So Jeb, let's walk through the problem that you discussed in the first episode. Yeah. So as I mentioned before, we were having a lot of issues with dirty market trailers and these finishing barns coming back from the packing plants positive with PED or what have you type virus or bacteria and breaking that farm then, especially with the focus on PED. um, And then that farm was either diagnosed with PED or it wasn't, but still had it. And so in a lot of these farms, they were either not taking the extra care to clean out that load chute better or the farm uh, since they had PED in the farm before they brought new weaned pigs in, uh, or they didn't know it and were more relaxed from their people standpoint. And so from wash crews or load crews, or even just farm personnel, there was bilateral spread within that production system. And so recognizing any way we can keep out the virus for a dirty market trailer from coming out of the farm, any way we can do that, we'd be better off if we could. And so that's kind of the the challenge that we addressed when developing our first product. Okay. We we talked a little bit about your first product in, in episode one. So why dry versus liquid? You know, I've used Synergize, I've used Vercon a lot. I've used bleach, you know, throughout my career. Why a dry powder versus what to fix this problem? Sure. So, you know, we recognized liquid disinfectants are have really great uh, research data and in a in a circumstance where there's not organic matter and there's not a huge chance of a you know large temperature swing that's going to be below freezing and some of the freezing issues there, it's going to be your best decision. When there is animals present, uh, a load chute that's can't really get washed because it's freezing outside and it's an unheated load chute and in the presence of organic matter, we saw the opportunity to bring a dry product in. And so our chlorazore product, kind of the base of it's a drying agent, a very fine powder that kind of helps coat that organic matter, kind of create a layer in the uh, load chute and sticks to the bottom of pig's feet and workers' boots. But then we also knew we needed something that was active in there to knock down some pathogens. So we've got a copper and a chlorine-based disinfectant in there. And so, you know, there's good research on there that, that dries can still be advantageous in the presence of organic matter compared to a liquid. 
obviously any disinfectant, really the, the presence of organic matter, the contact time, temperature, and the dilution all play big roles in disinfectants. And so in this scenario, we, we, we chose to go the dry route. One other thing to mention there, Dr. Darrell Holdkamp had done a, a trial here a couple of years ago, right before we were, as we were developing the product, looking at stage loading on these farms for sending out fat hogs to packing plants. And so they took a glow germ product and put it in the back of a trailer and loaded pigs on with traditional loading and staged loading and basically looked back on the load chute, connecting hallway and, and kind of the center hallway between the pens to see what of that glow germ product they brought back into the farm. And in both cases, that virus or glow germ made it definitely back into the farm, the load chute, but then still in both scenarios, some if not a lot, came back into the connecting hallway and potentially some of the subsequent pens in that barn. And so we recognize that hallway and that ground and where the pigs are walking and the boots are walking is a huge opportunity for us to try to knock down pathogens and mitigate spread back into the farm. My mind's just going to CSI and crime scene with the black light with the blood splatter. Yeah, That's there really you go. how disease travels. It really is. If we think about it. Yeah. And like you said, the glow germ proved it. And same with the, you know, the Swiffers at the Casey stores proved it, right? That we're carrying PED around all the way through and we don't realize it and we don't see it. And so I think you bring up a great point is disease is hidden from the naked eye. And, you know, we have to get smarter than those viruses. You know, viruses, I retaught biology this last fall and I think our DNA is like 10 to 15% virus origin. So, you know, they're made to survive and be dominant <laughs> in the, in the yes. world. But yeah, so kind of walk us through some of the experiments you've done. Obviously, dry product works great. Have you been able to demonstrate in some of your research, no claims here, but demonstrate, you know, in, in sound trials and research, are you able to mitigate disease? Are you able to kill the viruses? How, how does it work? In your mind? Yeah, you know, I think, again, as I mentioned, for all, you know, disinfection, really that that contact time and concentration and, and temperature all play a role in that. In our, as we developed our product and had a prototype uh, that we felt very good about and had gotten some feedback on farms, initially, we did some research then with uh, Dr. Hans Rado and Dr. Darren Madsen, TRB research group here right outside of Ames, really came to them with wanting a suggestion, you know, knowing what our challenge is, how will we test this? And so they actually put together a really nice inoculation trial where we took a PED slurry uh, solution and gavaged that down wean pigs' throats and then did the same thing. That was the control. And then the treatment, we mixed in chlorosorb into that slurry and let mixed and let set for 30 minutes and then gavaged that down wean pigs' throats and uh, had them housed in separate pens for 14 days. Well, obviously the control, we had clinical signs day three to five and the swabs were positive. And then 14 days out, we were still negative from the swabs and clinical signs on the, on the treatment pigs. And so that was really kind of our very first trial with those, with that group, you know, in the confines of that trial, recognized we could deactivate the virus and, and using the pigs as the assay. We then actually went to Iowa State's bacteriology lab and really wanted to check the box on a handful of bacteria in swine and poultry, but E. coli, Clostridium, Strep, Staph, Salmonella, 
were, were five out of the 10. And they, again, mixed the dry powder with a broth, inoculated with a bacteria, incubated, diluted, then re-incubated. And we were able to mitigate any growth on any of those bacterias. And then recently we sent off some chlorosorb to a lab suggested to us over in Vietnam and had some lab tested against ASF and feedback on that's been positive as well. So, you know, we've done some field swabs on farms and, and uh, have some data there as well, but kind of the, the university and working with the TRB research group have been our main field research and trials that we've done to prove that we can at least deactivate some of these viruses and bacteria. Well, I'm really excited. It definitely sounds like a product that we need for the industry and very good job, Jeb. Congratulations. (laughs) Appreciate that. As from 2022, Pick Progress is proud to be teaming up with the Real P3 podcast. Professionals from around the globe already knew how to find Pick Progress as a reliable source of global and exclusive pig information through our website, newsletter, magazine, social media, and webinars. And now, in its 38th year of existence, there is no escaping. Your favorite pig media is prominently present in audio form as well. Find out more to access all podcast episodes and register for a free newsletter through www.pigprogress.net. You made some good points here and some when we talk about biosecurity and disinfecting, obviously cleaning and disinfecting is a main part of that, right? So that's kind of the conversation today. You mm-hmm. made contact time, organic matter, temperature. You made some of those key words that you put in there. Talk us through for somebody's listening and struggling with constant disease breaks. Why are those some of the things important and some considerations on contact time, temperature, type, you know, we've talked about type of disinfectant and, and kind of walk through how they can maybe plug up those holes if they can't get chlorosorb in their country. Sure. Yeah. I think um, one of the key pieces is really just if you can remove that organic matter and the fats and oils off the wall, I mean, that's really the first step in getting anything clean. And so whether it's uh, using a degreaser or some sort of detergent uh, to help lift fats and oils and the manure off off the walls and off your equipment. You know, that's really the very first step to getting a good clean on a farm. There's been some good trials out there looking at degreasers and detergents that really prove that as well. But I think the first step is making sure you don't have any organic matter on the farm. Because even if you do a great job of power washing and disinfecting, uh, if you left some organic matter, some manure there on a farm and a pig gets some nose contact to that, a weaned pig here, you know, two, three days later, uh, you've unfortunately jeopardized the whole farm. So I think removing organic matter is the number one step there. But then as you look at a disinfectant, there's a lot of great ones out there. A lot of them have different activity or uh, active ingredients. And so really making sure to read the labels and know what's been researched and proven with that specific disinfectant is key. And so, you know, obviously I mentioned time and temperature and dilution, and a lot of those should be stated right on your label of an EPA registered liquid disinfectant. The one thing, Casey, that I see a lot on farms, and as I get a little deeper into this, a huge challenge is truly that dilution of what are you actually getting on the farm? Because every farm has a different power washer. 
And so the pressure of the power washer and the flow rate, so your PSI and your gallons per minute of water you're actually pumping with that power washer is going to influence how much you're actually inducting of that disinfectant or degreaser on your farm. And so I recognize how thick that disinfectant is with the concentration of it in your stock solution or a thicker degreaser will influence that. Your pressure will influence that and your gallons per minute will influence that. And so if there's a way for you to validate that the end concentration actually coming out of your power washer is the right concentration, that's something I would definitely think about and focus on. That's a really good point because I never ran it through my power washers. I always use a separate thing. But when you think about a lot of these companies who have SOPs across 20 barns that are the same, the flow rate of water is totally different between some of those farms. And so I think you brought up a valid point of maybe some of those challenges we're having is because we haven't validated that we're getting the right dosage of disinfectant. Sure. Yeah. And it's, uh, especially in these large systems, it's, it's very hard to, to validate that for, for every protocol and procedure you have, right? You know, because there's obviously endless SOPs on a farm. And so it takes a lot of work to validate them. I'm going to throw you a loaded question that you're not prepared for, but. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so obviously I've talked about this in the past. If PED is kind of where you started out with that problem, but we can talk about a lot of bacteria and viruses that live in our manure. We have a lot of deep pits in the Iowa area where you're at and different things. Do you see the problem of our manure storage as some of our bio biosecurity concerns and any thoughts on that? Yeah, I'm certainly not an expert in this, Casey, but you know, since you threw it at me, I'll do my best. I would say there are certainly endemic, you know, diseases out there that are always on farms, but it's really when they uh, multiply and take hold in these pigs, do we really see it, you know, as, as growers and producers? I don't, my experience is that typically and normally you're not going to see, you know, PED pop out of the pit or the pit being a challenge, you know, during the normal times of the year. Now, whenever you're pumping that pit, I would reverse that comment and say, I think there's lots of issues. Once you're stirring that up, now you're bringing that uh, contamination out and, and around the farm with lots of traffic crossing between and maintenance people uh, jumping from a barn to a, a pump and everything else. And so I'd say typically throughout the year, I don't think that's a huge challenge during pumping. I believe it is. Great points. So before we go, I'm going to turn the table again and let you ask me a question. <laughs> sure. Well, I, I was going to piggyback off of uh, off of some of the comments you made on your last uh, answering your last question, the last podcast. But when we look at drawing in more workers into the pork industry, as well as them bringing them content as far as training, what's the best way to do that? And maybe in your role, how do you make an influence in that? Because Obviously, getting getting young people in the industry is important for our growth and sustained, you know, effectiveness. And it's harder and harder to do that. I feel like so. How do we bring them in, and then how do we get them the right information and train them? I'm not sure I have the total solution yet. That's what I've been researching for the last <laughs> two years. But 
I can say, you know, teaching at that small college I did this last fall, we brought some animal science into non-ag kids. You know, we did chicken neocropsies and things like that and exposing them to that and talking about careers. But I just talked to another PhD student finishing up at Clemson in ruminant nutrition, I do believe. And she said, just like me, the only thing we thought we could do when we went to college was be a veterinarian. And, you know, I don't think we need to go back further to younger students. And I use this example that I did this last fall with my friend up in Indiana. I think I converted a student going to study, wanting to be a veterinarian into a nutritionist because his passion was to get away from using antibiotics. And he's like, that's Mm. exactly what she does. Veterinarians, you know, want to push antibiotics and things. And and just exposing somebody like that, very brilliant young man, and exposing them to a different track in that ideas. And I think we don't do enough of that. And then we look at a lot of the companies, even that we have, is we send our salesmen and we send our tech people. There's a lot of people behind the scenes that we don't highlight as companies and their successes. But the guy running the forklift in the plant, you know, loading trucks is just as important as the salesman or the, you know, technical PhD person out there talking at this major conference, right? It takes everybody in every position to make something work. And I think that's part of the problem. I think we've lost value and we want to go to the the farm level. You know, we want to get higher educated college students in. Well, we're not paying them enough to go to school, right? They're coming out with massive debt, right or wrong. And then our wages are so low that, you know, they barely have anything to get by. It's not, not you know, in that mentality of living paycheck to paycheck. I, I have been there. I am there again. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I have this idea of going back to high schools. Can we find these kids that maybe aren't geared towards college, but very mechanical or like animals, like working on the farm? Can we bring them in under an apprenticeship program? Can we partner with some small colleges? has some intensive trainings, like a two-week program. So they still get that college exposure and that, you know, that fun part of college, like we all enjoyed, right, right or wrong. But that exposure of meeting new people, having a little fun, maybe not getting chased by police on horseback, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a story. Oh uh, yeah, Casey. good story. One of yeah. my stories, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, things like that. And then can we we know we can teach virtually so we can bring information virtually to them and have that education instead of them spending a hundred thousand dollars on a bachelor's degree and then want to come work in the pig barn. Can we develop them from their senior year in high school of, and then we're getting those educations and we're investing in their education. So they see that value. And then that, I think that would breed loyalty. So I think we recruit at the wrong stage. I think we could be creative of how we bring those students in. But we also have to realize is this younger generation is desperately trying to find their purpose. They're taught differently than we were. You know, they've been raised differently. I call them helicopter moms, and I, I try not to be a helicopter mom, but it's tough. So we have to manage them differently. We have to manage their expectations differently. and. I'm sorry, it's not them who have to adjust to us. We have to adjust to them. And this rhetoric of millennials, and they're not even millennials anymore, they're zennials or whatever we want to call them. But 
you know, we have to change our mindset. We have to create a culture and they need to be a purpose-driven culture. That's what that generation is. And so we have to give them purpose. Well, we feed the world, but we also have to invest in them. They would love to learn and, and things like that. So I think there's different ways that we we really need to change how we manage and how we promote our industry and things. It takes time and it takes energy and it takes passion. Oh, that's good stuff. And when you said that, it strikes home too a little bit because, you know, really the FFA and my ag classes in high school were some of my most enjoyable and I learned the most in, right? Because it was something that was applicable, hands-on and, and uh, fun to learn stuff. And so I think really you can make an impact on those high schoolers and uh, I don't know if draw them in is the right word, but but like you said, what what's the why? And you say uh, to feed the world. I also think about, man, what we're, what we're doing in these communities is so cool as well. And being able to see the impact uh, that the pork industry makes on our around the Midwest here and around our local communities is inspirational for me. So anyway, I think a high school kid would be able to relate to that well. So, well, thank you, Jeb. Thanks for those great words and appreciate having you on the Real P3. Well, thanks for having me. It was a real pleasure, Casey. Well, I learned something new today or thought about something differently that I didn't think about when I audit or implement a disinfectant program into my systems. So I think it's really important that last key point that he discussed, when we consider this, do you know that you're applying the proper amount of disinfectant to your barns? Is that the challenge that we face in some of these facilities where we continuously have these outbreaks? So really informative from Jeb. As always, if you get a chance today, hug a pig for me. 